Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Addison Alvis and Herman Mascara from Wild coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine. Mary Clarkson, welcome back to the show. How are you? Howdy, Eric. I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, State of Grace owner Ford Fry is bringing Little Ray, a fast casual taqueria, to a new space on Mid Lane near River Oaks District. Little Ray is a restaurant that's built around wood-grilled chicken, tacos, and margaritas. should note that it's not really a Tex-Mex restaurant. Uh, it doesn't have enchiladas. It doesn't have fajitas. It does have queso, but it's a little more... It's a little more focused than that. So, Mary, let me let me throw it to you. I mean, are you a fan of the other Ford Fry restaurants in Houston? They are Super Rica, La Lucha, and State of Grace. I like Ford Fry. I know him personally. Um, I know I know his sister and and their family and stuff. And I like all of his concepts here. I definitely probably over the years have frequented state of grace uh the most often just because it's the original restaurant for them in this town and it's close to my house i love seafood and oysters and i think their raw bar has been one of the best um in the city it's just a really beautiful spot and then i love la lucha's fried chicken i mean come on it's pretty pretty compelling i know you and i have both been there together and I like uh, I like their existing Tex-Mex spot, Super Rica, uh, next door to La Lucha. So I, I like all of their concepts. I frequent them in varying amounts, but I think he's a, a smart operator, and I think he's been well-received in Houston. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And we should say, you know, Ford is a, a Houston native. Uh, you know, he grew up here. He went to Lamar High School. Uh, and then he he went off to make his fortune elsewhere, ultimately you know, landing in Atlanta where he's had just a ton of success. And of course he's been successful back here uh, with those three concepts. I mean, you, you've, you've read a little bit about little Ray. What do you think? Uh, are you intrigued? I'm intrigued. I think, I don't know. My real estate attorney brain is a little confused by the location, but I'm definitely excited to try out this concept being closer to me um, I think the Heights does really well because it's family friendly. The price points are there. You know, little kids can eat there. Big kids can eat there. <laughs> and Midlane and River Oaks District, this area is just, it's hard to get in and out of easily or quickly. So, you know, they have valet at State of Grace and their other concepts as well. But I think you know, parking might be an issue for here. I guess it'll, we'll wait to see and reserve opinion. I do think this type of restaurant doesn't exist in that neighborhood. I mean, there's Escalantes, but I, I have a feeling this is going to hit a little differently than that. So I think, I think the concept is in a geographically good location um, for competition. Right. I, I think, you know, I think you make a whole bunch of, of valid points. I think obviously from, from Ford's perspective, there's a lot of residential in that whole area. There's two big apartment buildings right next to it. You know, there's people that live in River Oaks District. There's there's apartments all along Westheimer. And if you go sort of south of Westheimer down mid lane, you know, it's a very affluent uh, neighborhood, the Afton Oaks area. So if the only thing that happens is the people who live close enough to walk to it go there once or twice a week, it'll be just fine. Right. Like they'll, they'll sell plenty of tacos and, and do just fine. And then if it becomes a destination, like his other three restaurants, even better. Right. You know, I think you said there's nothing really like it nearby. And I, you know, I think, you know, there's that velvet taco right there on 610 next to the Galleria, kind of yeah. a similar, <laughs> you know, obviously, obviously a very different, a, a less traditionally Mexican approach to tacos. Right. Like this is, this is all pretty traditional grilled steak, grilled chicken pork belly, you know, the, 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 the fillings and the, so a much more traditional approach to tacos than velvet taco, you know, what it reminds me of, and I even said this to Ford when I, I talked to him about it is it reminds me a little of good company taqueria, which is the good company family, you know, fast, casual restaurant that's on Kirby right next to good company seafood. 
And that's that's got a bigger menu in the sense that it it has burgers and it has fajitas and it has enchiladas. But but fundamentally, like, you know, I've been going there uh, for probably the better part of 30 years and, and I get, you know, a two soft taco dinner with rice and beans. And and looking at the menu for Little Ray, I'll probably get a couple of tacos with rice and beans and a margarita. So I think I think to the extent that it it's sort of is an updated version of that experience. I think it's got the potential to do really well. And you also have, I mean, not a direct competitor in terms of style, but El Tiempo in Richmond is beloved, you know, and that's not that far away from where this location is. That's always been a favorite of a lot of people who grew up in and around that neighborhood before these other concepts um, like Escalantes came into Highland Village, for example. Uh, So I think, you know, I think it'll be an interesting, interesting space for them. And I think they will, ultimately do very well they don't make guesses in terms of locations so pretty smart operators here absolutely all right let's move on to topic number two postscript htx which i'm describing as a female-oriented bar and lounge and a restaurant is coming to the shops at arrive later this year in the former del frisco's grill space it is related to dallas's xoxo dining room uh this is a restaurant that's known for its pink walls a menu of kind of decadent shareable plates and a button at every table that you can press for another bottle of champagne. Mary, let me just ask you as not, not that you're speaking on behalf of, of all women, but, <laughs> but this is kind of your, this is kind of your, your neighborhood uh, and kind of your demographic. So and let me just ask my you. Category, I am a known champagne slut. Okay. I mean, that is my speciality. I think it's better <laughs> when you say it instead of me. So, so having heard all that, so having so having heard all that, what do you think? Do you can you imagine like doing a girls' happy hour or a birthday dinner or something at, at a restaurant? Like oh that? man! As much as I would like love to describe myself as like girly girl, I mean, I I'm a feminine woman, but I I don't. This might be like so overboard for me personally. I will check it out. I mean, you're basically equally. I can equidistant more or less walk to del frisco's girl space that's going to be this concept and a boozy so it's really going to come down after the first time or two for me it's going to come down to price because a boozy is known for ordering literally every single champagne that is sold in texas and that's kind of what sets it apart and so does its pricing so it will depend how how competitive they are, how deep their list is. I would love to see a bunch of grower champagne on this menu and not a bunch of Republican glaciers, distributors, wines that, you know, they're the big boys. And I always worry when an out-of-town operator comes in that they're going to rely on big distributors rather than going with smaller ones who might have a better offering. So I think it's a good fit. This shopping center in general has always struggled I can never quite pinpoint why the shopping center struggles. I mean, Pondicherry does very well. They are the exception. So is Eddie V's. But restaurants have come and gone in this center. And the space has sat empty for years. Uh, yeah. And, and, and we should take good restaurants, right? Like, you know, Robert Del Grande opened two restaurants in that center that didn't last. You know, Katsuya were, by Stark. Were they, were, were they good? <laughs> I mean, you would think you would think anything anything affiliated with Robert Del Grande has got to be at least a B. But yeah, they didn't they didn't catch on. Uh, yeah, you know, two story restaurants in general, also like multi level concepts and freestanding shopping centers, do not work with rare exception, right? Right, so right, it, Ken, it's, right. It's Ketsuya, right. Ketsuya came and went. The Korean restaurant whose name I can't think of off the top of my head came and went. You're right. Pondicherry is a success story. It, it does feel like you could sort of see yourself having like a whole day out of being there. You know, if you, if you went to milk and honey for a spa treatment, shopped Tootsie's and then had dinner at postscript HTX, you know, it's like a whole day of, of lady, lady time. Uh, I think like uh, what, what is it? What is it? What was it in the league? A perfect lady day. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's kind of what we're going for. I think there's like two tiers of women who would go here of which neither am I and hold your snarky comments. I think it's going to be like Cougar Central <laughs> or I think it's going to be like really young women that are having, you know, bachelorette parties, bridal shower, you know, baby showers. I don't know, stuff like that. I just see it like 
literally being divided into two tiers of which i am neither sir <laughs> right too right uh too too old to be uh too, too old to be in the in the gen z tiktok group too young at least for a little while to be a cougar so what we, we hey. understand we understand uh i will say one other thing about this which is that brian caswell is doing the menu uh we know brian most most prominently from from reef or or more recently from the what's eric eating ultimate tech draft he is like uh, the doodliest dude. What is he doing? The mid- is he balancing all the estrogen in the room? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I yeah, I guess they they say they want it to be a little more dude friendly than the than the Dallas original. So we'll see. Uh, I did talk to him. He's got some ideas for decadent, over the top. You know, tuna tacos, truffle, truffles. <laughs> I'm not touching that. <laughs> truffles, caviar. You know, something something that's memorable. Dishes that look great on on social media, obviously. Uh, so we'll see how that menu comes together, but but you cotton know, I, candy I've, for dessert, I'm sure. Right, I've always <laughs> liked I've always liked Brian's food. And, He's a great chef, right? So so anything he does that that they're going to the trouble of, you know, hiring him to consult on the menu, and putting a name behind it, that I think that actually speaks well to their ambition, and you know, hopefully they execute it consistently. But but that does make me that does make me slightly more intrigued. Yeah, I will give it a go. I will give anyone at least a one try, sometimes two, maybe three. But, you know, I, I'm now in the category of a restaurant gets either one yum, two yums or no yum. So, you know, as long <laughs> as we get one yum the first time, I will I will try it a second time. <laughs> All right. And then uh, just briefly, I want to note that topic number three, Pappas Restaurants has opened Little's Oyster Bar. Their new upscale seafood restaurant in the former Little Papa's space on Shepherd. Chef Jason Ryzek brings an impressive resume from California, including Farlon Restaurant in San Francisco that was a you know closed during the pandemic, but but was a very well thought of seafood restaurant. You know the the space has been completely redone. The menu is focused on caviar, a raw bar, and shareable entrees. Mary, let me just ask you, I mean, what are your what are your expectations for Little's Oyster Bar? It's like so bizarre to me because we started off the show talking about State of Grace and how much I and many other people love that oyster bar in that space. And kind of the only like serious, serious game up until you get to Brasserie 19 and the neighborhood or surrounding neighborhoods, I would say. And now you have this coming on board and I don't, I'm used to Papa's in my mind, like any of their concepts, just being old school and comforting and classic. And all of those things are good things in my book. Those aren't negatives, but this is, this is like new wave Papa's. Uh, They're not playing with this menu, nor are they playing with the pricing of it. And I'm excited to see an updated space from them. That's really convenient. I mean, it's centered, you know, Upper Kirby, Montrose, River Oaks areas. So I think it's going to draw from a lot of people, even though I think looking at the menu, I haven't been yet, but looking at the menu and the pricing, I mean, it's expensive. So gone are the days of like the inexpensive Papa's oyster happy hour that, you know, a lot of us knew growing up. I mean, I'm looking at their fruit de mer uh, seafood platter. It's 169 bucks. So that's that's B nineteen pricing. They're they're not playing. Yeah, that's I mean that's state of grace pricing. That's B nineteen pricing. And I and I talked to Christina Pappas about that, and and I said, look, like, you know, I have very fond memories of coming here. You know, driving past it and seeing like eight dollar a dozen blue points on the marquee, and messaging friends and being like, okay, we're going tonight. Like, we're gonna go crush. We're gonna go crush cheap oysters at, at Little Pappas, and we'll get like a a big fried seafood platter. And you know, not a cheap dinner necessarily, but like on the on the more affordable end of the spectrum. This is not that. This is essentially the seafood equivalent of Pappas Brothers Steakhouse with a with a wine list to match. You know, a whole new look in the interior, elevated flatware, glassware, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, in that sense, I kind of like it because I like <laughs> the ambition of of Pappas being like, yeah, you know us for. Papa dough, right? There's there's dozens of those and they they make a ton of money. But we're going to use our our expertise and our buying power in in both food and wine to do something really special and something a little more antique. 
and I, you know, I met with Christina and Chef Jason, and I tried some of the a couple of the dishes. It, it's definitely competitive with anything coming out of, you know, certainly. I mean, Navy Blue is the obvious comparison. Is that's that's open or, or State of Grace, which you know, you and I mentioned we is both uh, a restaurant we both love. But but they they mentioned another restaurant, and and that's where I want to I want to turn to you because it's it's Clark's, uh, the oyster bar from Austin that's opening right down the street from them on West Alabama. And I know, I know, you know, that restaurant group from your travels to Austin. And so, so let me just ask you, I mean, what do you, what do you think? I mean, they've, they've kind of, I think they've kind of benchmarked Clark's is like, we're going to, you know, we need to be ready for them because when that restaurant opens, I think it's going to get a lot of attention. I like that. So just like looking at the wine list for uh, the seafood spot from Papa's from their oyster bar, it's a, it reminds me of, of a Papa's steakhouse influenced list i mean it's a serious list i of course will always say that the pricing is a little more than i want it to be but it's it's not crazy for the experience they're offering what they're going up against is the biggest in my opinion name of operators in the state that's independent and he's young and he's hip and he's cool so papa's has you know that old school image that they have to go up against that shows they're legitimate against Clark's. I mean, I grew up with Larry McGuire. I went to college with him. He's a friend of mine. He doesn't guess when he opens new concepts in any market and he spares no expense and his branding and his imaging, everything that every touch and every detail in his restaurants from a cocktail napkin to a set of matches to the design of the menu he spends a lot of time and effort into that. And so by the time Clark's finally does open, I know they would have probably liked to have already been open by now. Everyone in town is going to want to go to them because Clark's has built up their name in Austin. And trust me, a lot of people in Houston already have brand awareness of that name. I have people in the industry that are like, when are they opening? That's going to be my spot. So I think Clark's will be the younger, hipper, cooler kid. I think Papa's is a, an amazing stalwart name in Houston, but I think I think Clark's is going to steal the shine from everyone when they open. Yeah, I, I I think that's right. I think you know I think Clark's is a little more casual, right? They've got a reputation for having you know a really great burger. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get that at at Little's Oyster Bar, right? It's a more upscale experience, and they're going to lean pretty heavily on especially Gulf Coast fish. So I think that'll be kind of where they. They sort of draw the line, right, with that rep- with that Pappas reputation for just, you know, really first rate, really personal service. Yeah. So I will say, I think there's room for everybody. You know, I think there's room for Navy Blue. I think there's room for Brasserie 19 and State of Grace and even Hudson House, which is coming from Dallas and opening next to Brasserie 19, another kind of casual oyster bar concept. So I'm excited to have a real full meal at Little's. I, I, I look forward to that. And then we'll talk about it on the show here. In another uh, couple of three weeks, I think. But I, I did want to, I did want to note that opening because, because you know, it's so rare that we see a new concept from Pappas, an upscale concept. I mean, this is really the first time since they opened the original Pappas Steakhouse that they're like really committing to something, like really bringing all of their resources to bear and saying, like, you know, this is who we are. So I, I think for those reasons, it's it's worth paying attention to. And I think. For me, the closest competition and hierarchy kind of is B19 and Clark's will be competitive with each other. I think Papa's will compete a little bit with B19, but B19's a CNBC place. I 100% know Clark's is. I think Papa's is going to try to establish a new identity here. So time will tell with that. Absolutely. All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Mary, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about The Preserve. This is the new restaurant that teams up David Skinner from Eculent with Jeff Benchawan, painter of Street to Kitchen. You know, it's it's an interesting concept, right? It's a, you know, when I when I first spoke to them about this, it was going to be kind of a tapas style a la carte menu. It evolved into something very different. Right now, it's a tasting menu that traces the culinary history of 
Native Americans, specifically Choctaw, the Choctaw tribe that David Skinner uh, has some ancestry with, and of course, Thai cooking, and, and the way that that international exploration and trade had ingredients that influenced both, right? So like chilies don't come to Thai cooking until the 1600s from when the Portuguese bring them from the New World. And, and the very earliest Native American dishes obviously didn't use like salt or black pepper because those came from Asia. So, or well, uh, certainly black pepper did. Salt salt was kind of everywhere. So there's this this intersection, and you know it's not fusion, right? They're not they're not they're, they're but you get you get a Thai dish from a, a certain time period, and you get a, a Native American Choctaw style dish from the time period going back to about what what was it like two thousand. Uh, BCE up until kind of the present day, so it, it's a it's a it's a complicated concept to explain, I think. But but let me just ask you. I mean, just a do you do you sort of agree with my assessment? And b did did you get that? Did you understand what they were trying to achieve when we when we ate there? I love the fact that we can even have an environment where a restaurant like this can exist and be ambitious. I think it's important. I think you and I can get it because this is what we do. I mean, we go out and we see these new concepts and how they do what they do and really soak up that experience. I think maybe for some people, it's going to be a little harder uh, to absorb all of this. There was a lot of information going on, which I liked, but, and I know I spoke to Graham at the farmer's market last weekend after we went and I know they're going to tighten up that timeline, which I think will help them because it was a long meal and we drove to Kima or rather you drove to Kima. (laughs) And I think it's something, it's going to be a specific type of diner that wants that experience. Yeah, I I think that's right. I think the original concept of, Oh, you'll get some, you know, I could come, I could come and have like a tapas style experience with a couple of drinks and get a little of this and a little of that had a kind of broad appeal. And then I think what they're doing is a, is a more narrow, more focused appeal. Like you, I I like the ambition and they do. I mean, you know, the menu is laid out as a timeline. So you just have to kind of read it and listen to the explanations and they, they do guide you through it. I mean, you know, you're not, you're not just on your own sort of guessing what's happening, but you know, when that, when that salad course hits and there's no salt on the vegetables because it's from the time period when before Native Americans were using salt in their dishes, you're like, well, intellectually, I respect, I respect the integrity of it. Emotionally, I'm a little like, like, I, I think this, this field greens and, and this, you know, this dressing that you've created is, is interesting, but like, there's a, there's a part of me that wishes you just you get a little sprinkle of salt, so I so it it made the taste more vibrant. I think there's a way to mainstream it where you set that dish down for kind of the entry courses that have less seasoning. Uh, and <laughs> this is like a chef's worst nightmare, and I don't mean it this way, but like maybe they provide a little salt and pepper on the table, like in a little dish that you could sprinkle a little bit on after you have that first taste. I just intellectually, I hundred percent appreciate what they do. I also know a lot of consumers are going to think I'm paying a lot of money for this food. I just want it to taste the way I think it should taste. And, you know, I don't know. That's a fine line. But I just think it's going to make the most amount of people happy if they encourage people to have that first initial bite and then they can do what they want with it. Am I terrible for saying that? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I don't I don't think you're terrible. I I think you're you're trying to balance a, a chef's creativity and kind of wanting to teach people something with being an operator in a diner who, who like wants the food to taste a certain way. And I, I think I'm probably you know, going to get murdered for that, but that's okay. Well, I, I don't think, I don't think anyone's going to murder you. I think, I think they actually like you quite a bit. Uh, but you know, this is maybe the first time, you know, since Johnny Rhodes was cooking at Indigo where it was it's not just about a meal, right? Like it's, it's about, engaging you intellectually and and teaching you something and showing you something that you maybe hadn't considered before or didn't know about. And so, you know, for that reason, I, I think it's really interesting. And as much as I enjoyed it, right? Like, you know, David, 
David Skinner sources his own duck from a, a farm in Conroe and they sear it. And it's like some of the best, like we've been eating duck all over the city recently. It's like suddenly very trendy on menus and it's delicious. And so, you know, like, their ingredients were incredible. And the cocktail pairing that we had, like the cocktails were delicious. I think that should be spoken about by you in a second. And also the wine pairings, like there's a lot going on here that I think somebody in this post COVID world who all they crave is experiences will be down for. Yeah. And when you get to the end and you get that, that, you know, seared meat with the, just this like ridiculously spicy, you know, blow your top off kind of curry. And then you get the the desserts at the end. You're like, okay, like I, I understand this, you know, I appreciate this. Like, I'm glad I went on this journey. I don't know if it's something I will do again necessarily because like, I feel like I got it, you know, like, I don't, I don't know that I, but, but I, but I can, at the same time, I can see people who just like fall in love with that experience and are like, I want all of those things again. Yeah. And I'll be curious to see how it evolves over, over time. And once they tweak things, I mean, to be fair, we were the very first diners who had ever done this menu. So I, I know the people behind this you do as well like they're gonna tweak it they're gonna refine it and i love i really did love the food that we had that evening so you're saying two yums is that is that what you're saying two yums double yum double yum all right <laughs> you you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> and then and then mary i also want to talk to you about andiron uh only because it's been open for the new steakhouse from uh michael sandbrooks the owner of the pit room and candente and, you know, I, I have a feeling like I'll probably get into this in another week or two with uh, Michael Fulmer, who's kind of our our go-to co-host when it comes to steakhouses. But, but it's also been... connoisseur. <laughs> right. But it's also, it, but it's also been open for uh, a couple of weeks now. And we haven't really talked about it. So I, I did want to bring it up to you. I mean, let me, let me just put it to you in, in very simple terms. Someone, someone said to me, someone said to me, what do you think? Right. And I said, I think it's the best steakhouse to open in Houston since Doris Metropolitan at the end of 2017. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> I I mean, agree or agree or disagree? Agree. I'm only giggling because what I'm about to say. <laughs> Please fire away. <laughs> I've said this to a couple of people, and I'm surely gonna get shanked for this one. It is like for me, it's the it's like it's the Blue Dorn Death Star <laughs> and both restaurants can exist well. OK, I say that like comedically, comically, uh, tongue in cheek, but it is so good. It's it's two yums. It's yum yum for sure. But besides that, you can actually go here and have a steakhouse experience or you could literally go here and not touch meat which that makes it incredibly rare. That's a pun. Uh, the seafood offerings are such a high caliber and i'm not just talking about oysters like all of their carpaccio kind of sashimi uh fish dishes they have three four five different dishes every night and for people who liked 1751 who missed that they can come here and pick up where that left off because it's got a little bit of both uh and then you know a lot of times steakhouses okay yeah they do a great steak guess what that's their job <laughs> but their sides suck or their salads fall short or desserts are an afterthought here. Everything hits on all, all fronts. And that's exceptionally rare. Yeah. So first, let me just say you're on your own with that, <laughs> with that blue door and death star stuff. Like nothing. I don't think, I don't think anything is going to slow down. I'm kidding. Sort of. I'm just saying, I think right. this is going to steal, steal the new kid on the block. Light. Right. I, I, I mean, I, I think what is what is more, I think that the more direct comparisons are, you know, if you look at like Garden Grace downtown that, that does that kind of. No Asian one looks at Garden Grace downtown. You know, Asian <laughs> Asian influence, small plates with, with, a, with some classic steakhouse stuff or, you know, even Georgia James. Right. Which is which is kind of a, a modern perspective on a steakhouse with the cast iron and the and the global, you know, the eclectic starters and sides. You know, I would say that Andiron is is a more refined, uh, more focused kind of version of, of either one of those in in a in a very luxurious environment 
with a really like you found great deals on the wine list. You know, I've enjoyed the cocktails and, and, you know, they're not doing like, they don't have like three different fillets on the menu and, and three different ribeyes. It's like, we have, we have one dry aged prime ribeye. We have one Wagyu New York strip and you're going to pay a lot for those, right? Those, those steaks are expensive. And then some larger format stuff that's designed to be shared. Uh, but they're also doing a picanha and yeah, they're going to do, you know, potato puree and, and cream spinach, but they're also doing this palmana that's the, you know, kind of Leonese on steroids, right? With the crispy. But palmana is the best riff on any similar dish I've ever had in this town. Yeah, it's a phenomenal. It's it's the best potato side on a new menu. I'm going to say since Steak 48 started doing the Hasselbeck potatoes, like I, I remember I remember having that for the first time and being like, this is a like this is the kind of thing that sets a steakhouse apart. And and I feel that way about the Palmana. And then all of the, you know, the raw dishes, the, you know, the kind of sashimi style small plates. You're right. If you like 1751, you're going to like Andiron's version of that stuff. And then there's just some stuff that's just like completely decadent and over the top. You know, Talk about our Cobb salad, for God's sakes. Well, I mean, Jesus. Let me, let me come back. Let me, let me finish my <laughs> thought, right? Four kinds of Wagyu available in two ounce portions. So if you want to do, you know, compare and contrast, you can get two or three of them and and taste through it or if you really want to splurge you know the buckwheat crepe with a giant scoop of uh golden ocetra caviar on it is is like one of the better caviar courses now obviously it's it's a much bigger splurge than like getting caviar tarts at riel but the dish is an orgasm is what that dish is eric are you even allowed to say that uh i'm gonna (laughs) let you say that i'm not gonna i don't i don't I, you know, I think producer Michael says some of the more outrageous things and there's going to be a clip show someday uh, that's nothing but us saying outrageous things. So I'm going to let you say that. I'm not going to say that, but it is incredibly just like insanely over the top delicious. And if Melts I were going to spend, if I were going to spend $150 on an appetizer, that would be the one. So all of those things. And then, and then we haven't even talked about some of the other, some of the other entrees and some of the other small plates. All right. Now, what, what did you, what did you interrupt me to interject about? Oh, I don't know now. Oh, well, okay. I'll just address. I forgot my train of thought. Shocking. Um, I was going to say about the wine for like wine nerds, for example, Giberto Mag 2020, beautiful red for 150 bucks at a steakhouse is insane. It's, you know, just a little bit above retail. Their overall wine markup on their list was great. They'd been buying wine for a while prior to them opening so they actually have a pretty deep list and a thoughtful list so i don't know i just a lot of people shy away from steakhouse wines because they know the markup is four times or you know even even more in some spots so it's crazy and not affordable so while some of the dishes are expensive here the wine balances that out and you can get you know, a ribeye for two people and split that with a couple of sides and the ribeye is 80 bucks. So it feeds two. So there's a, there's a way to access this restaurant without spending a fortune, but there's also the ability that if you want to go all out, you can go all out. Yeah, no, I I would agree with you. If you just want to do, if you want to do like the trimmed down version of a meal and andiron, it's, it's oysters, or one of the other kind of cold seafood plates, a salad, either kind of their version of a, like a, a garden salad Caesar hybrid that has anchovies in it, or the wedge, the picanha, which is like right at about 50 bucks with the palmana and maybe one other side and then split a dessert. You'd be out for, I don't know, I'm going to say like $150 for two people. Or you can do what we did, which is go with seven people, order uh, four steaks, all of the appetizers, all of the desserts, and and all of the wine, and spend a grand. But you know, but but it was my birthday, and we were celebrating. That's not entirely accurate. It was a little bit more than that. <laughs> <laughs> but but like double that. Uh, but you know, the, there are multiple different avenues you can go when you're here, and so I, I like that flexibility from them. And then also, their patio's not open yet, but. When their patio opens, they're going to have a lot of additional seating outside and it neighbors Clarkwood, which I also think that's important to mention because the synergy between these two businesses is 
already very good and is only going to get better once both their patios patios are open. I was at, uh, I was in Brenham at Truth Barbecue and this couple sat next to me and started talking to me. And this woman was like, I know you. And I'm like, oh, excuse me. And she's like, oh, I know you. She knew my voice from the show. We started talking about Houston and, and I recommended Andiron and Clarkwood. And this couple that was like 65, 70 years old was like, oh, it's my husband's birthday next week. We're going to Andiron and we're having drinks at Clarkwood before. So if that's happening at that age, it's happening at, it will happen at every age of people that go to either. Absolutely. All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for our restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And I'll be right back with the guys from Wild. I am joined this week by two of the guys from Wild, a restaurant, bar, coffee shop, and dispensary with locations in Montrose and the Heights. Gentlemen, let me introduce you separately so people can hear your voices. Addison Alvis, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. Chef Herman Mascara, welcome. Thank you for having us today. Appreciate it. Herman, let me let me start with you actually, because I've I've known you for a number of years now. I think we met when you were at bit. You worked at the uh, the vegan restaurant whose name I'm forgetting in the Heights. Uh, I was Verdine. Verdine, <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes, yes. But but tell me a little bit about your background. How did you how did you get interested in the world of of cooking? You know, it, it's been a fun and interesting journey. You know, I was actually talking to somebody about the other day. Uh, you know, I started off, you know, going to school for engineering and I've been involved my whole childhood with math and science and, you know, aspirations to be either an astronaut or, you know, an engineer. And once, you know, I got to college and, you know, went through the program, I realized that I really enjoyed it, but, you know, I really also enjoyed art. You know, I was very fortunate to paint as a, as a young kid and really, you know, get to explore, you know, different museums and artists. And that was really what called to me once I was in college and I got to see, you know, other opportunities. So, you know, I made a transition. I didn't go directly to cooking because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I know that, you know, engineering wasn't my path. And, you know, I was wandering, you know, for a couple of years and made my way into the kitchen as a dishwasher. Oddly enough, you know, there was a, a job convention in, at the Riverwalk downtown in San Antonio. And uh, Dick's Last Resort decided to hire me, which is pretty funny. You know, it was an interesting place. But I'll tell you what, I learned a lot there. And that really was, I wouldn't say the foundation, but really taught me, you know, what the, what the underbelly of cooking was, what the industry really was about, you know, deeper down besides, you know, fine dining, shiny things. This was, you know, what was going on. And I learned from some pretty interesting people. You know, one of my uh, favorite line cooks I got to learn from, his name was Animal. I don't know his real name, but, you know, Animal was his name. And he taught me a lot, you know, how to work the grill, how to really just you know, do volume. You know, it wasn't anything fancy, but, you know, he taught me how to work steaks, showed me his hand, said, okay, Herman, check your hand. You put your finger here, and that's a medium. You put your finger here, that's a medium well. You put your finger here, that's a medium rare. And uh, that's how I learned. And then from there, you know, I had an opportunity to go to the Rainforest Cafe. New, fancier place. Kind of was a change of scene. Uh, and that, you know, gave me the opportunity to move to uh, the Dominion Country Club, which is what really opened my eyes to, you know, the, the true calling world. We had a brigade system, a, a chef, a sous chef, you know, a chef of cuisine, all these different people. Uh, and I met a friend of mine in there who was going to the local culinary school in San Antonio and wanted to go to the Culinary Institute of America in New York. And that's what, uh, what inspired me to go back to school, realizing that, hey, there's a school for this. You know, there's an opportunity to, to continue to grow. And my mind was open and I, I made the jump and went to the CIA for two years and I had my focus on what I wanted to learn and met some really great chefs uh, that connected me to Spain, which kind of really is now been my foundation to how I've really approached food and, and produce. One of the most amazing things I learned in Spain was how to source and choose produce, you know, to really put your hands on it, to get your hands on the dirt, you know, and understand and then utilize and transform it. And I brought that back with me and uh, it's been part of me ever since then. So how did you wind up in Houston? I mean, because like I said, I I remember you at La Column d'Or, but I know you'd worked a, a few other places before that. So So when did you, when did you come to Houston? Uh, the Houston part was actually a connection from culinary school. A buddy of mine was from Houston, 
And uh, he came back and worked at Cafe Annie and met the guys from Ruggles, uh, what was Ruggles Grill at the time, about to be Ruggles Green, you know, which was Bruce Molzan and uh, a couple of, you know, Robert Gillerman, a couple of different people. And, uh, you know, his forte was definitely meat and, meat and potatoes, very Italian, lots of pasta. And Ruggles Green was, as you know, the forerunner of gluten-free vegan vegetarian in Houston when it first started. And also, you know, green dining. Uh, and for me, you know, I just, oddly enough, learned how to really cook vegetables really well and help Jonathan out with, you know, making, you know, almost recipes, you know, gluten-free this. And finally, after a couple of months of operation, they offered me a position. I'm not in the kitchen, but as uh, the general manager, which is pretty funny. So I moved to Houston uh, to be the general manager of Ruggles Green to help him start off, you know, because my friend Jonathan was a chef. And, you know, so I worked hand in hand with him, you know, made the recipes, ran, got to know the staff, you know, spoke Spanish, got to know a lot of the crew, had a great connection with Bruce. Um, and then suddenly, you know, one night, boom, Jonathan, you know, walks out of the kitchen. And, you know, it's, they all look at me to take over the reins. And I did, you know, for three months, you know, while we're looking for someone else to kind of take over the front of the house, I stepped into the kitchen. And um, I took over and really, really made it my own. Um, and Bruce Knowles was a, was a great mentor back then to me, you know, to help me further develop, you know, the, the potential he saw in me because he was also a CIA graduate, you know, and really, you know, strong chef then and now still, you know. Uh, and he gave me the opportunity to shine and I ran with it. And Ruggles Green was, just became my style, you know, niche style of food, you know, which was vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, pizzas, wood-fired, you know, which I fell in love with. Uh, and that's what brought me to Houston. So let me let me shift to you a little bit because you were on the show a few years ago. You know, we talked about Grinders, a, a coffee shop you opened with your brother. Basically, basically just a, a CBD coffee shop. You you had you had a little bit of a food component, but it, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a restaurant. And then you you opened the first Wild in Montrose with kind of on a grander scale with with the whole cocktail program. Tell me a little bit about that evolution. Kind of how did you get from from Grinders to Wild? Man, you know. Uh... I think when Grinders was first opening, we were really, you know, wanting to capitalize on the hemp industry. Um, I came from California for the last year uh, working in the, you know, cannabis industry. And I saw the potential of it here in Texas. So when we opened Grinders, it was more of a, um, we wanted to do a little bit of a, you know, gourmet coffee shop as more of a Amsterdam approach, if you will, you know, to, uh, having coffee for sale with the sale of, you know, the hemp products, they, they go well, so well together. Um, and then wild sort of was the brainchild of, uh, Andrew and I's vision. Cause we, we sort of always wanted to open a cocktail bar. We always wanted, uh, to be in the bar scene, um, and take those to the next level. And we saw the opportunity with putting our THC or CBD, you know, cannabis in, like essentially mocktails um, of course they're alcohol free um, but they give people that don't drink alcohol something more than just like a juice or a water when they want to go out with friends um, so we felt that by incorporating that into our cocktail program you sort of make a place where anybody can come and have a good time um, regardless if they're um, off, off on the wagon off the wagon it doesn't really matter they can they can come in and have fun um, and for a lot of people, uh, I think we've, we've given them that, um, you know, you can come in and have a good time, no matter what your preference is, uh, or if you just want some coffee or, you know, a really nice latte, um, that's always an option too. So then it sort of jumped into, uh, when the UB preserve, uh, space came available, we heard about that and we had some people reach out to us. Andrew had some connections there and, uh, we sort of toured the space and I'm like, man, uh, I've always wanted to run a restaurant, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's always been something that I, I would love to have under my belt and, and get into. I, I have a huge affinity for fine dining and good food in Houston. I mean, my favorite thing to do is go to all these new awesome restaurants you always talk about on your, your Instagram and your show. Um, so I was like, let's, uh, let's dive into it. And, uh, some stars really aligned and we happened to run into chef Herman right when we were getting going in the process. Um, and it just felt like it was meant to be. So we, we, we ran with it. Yeah. I, I say a little more about that. Cause, cause that's the, that's the part that I find sort of fascinating, right? You had a, you had a coffee shop and a cocktail bar with the original wild in the Heights. 
and then you could have you could have just done another one of those, but instead you 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 know you hire a name chef, you 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 have this kind of ambitious food program that we're going to talk about here in a second. But but just I mean it's it's a lot of extra work to do it this way, right? I mean, like why why take on all the extra responsibility? You know, we we were looking at wild and wanted to know if, if that's what we wanted it to be, or if we wanted it to be something more after our Heights location. Um, and I think a, as a brand, you know, Andrew and I decided that we really thought that a, a high end food program, especially with like the cannabis infusions that we're doing is something that nobody else is. Um, and that's, that sets it apart and makes it like a, a whole experience. If you will, you can come and eat dinner, you can pick up products, you can come in the morning and get coffee and do work and study. Um, or you can just come and hang out in our jungle lounge uh, and have a good time, uh, with some cocktails. Um, it's, it's like a one-stop experience with, with, with everything. We really felt at the heights, um, you know, through our first year that, uh, what we were missing was people really wanted some good food to hang out and eat. And we had customers constantly asking us, you know, do you have any, uh, like any food with cannabis or anything like that, you know, or, or just food in general. Um, so I felt like it was a good direction to go. It, it's, it's definitely been a whole lot of extra work. That's for sure. Um, it's a different beast, um, running in a restaurant than, you know, just a cocktail bar, but, um, I don't regret it at all. I, I love the experience, the things that me and chef have done together in the kitchen and uh, the program we're building. It's uh, it truly feels unique um, for, for Houston, especially. Yeah. Herman, let me, let me bring you back into this. I mean, talk a little bit about, you know, you're coming off for Dean, you know, you, you meet uh, Addison and Andrew. Why did, why did this seem like the, the logical next move for you? When I met Andrew and Addison, as I mentioned, you know, it was the right timing. You know, I was in transition. And also, you know, in my role as a chef in Houston, you know, I felt like I had really enjoyed the the vegan and vegetarian world for enough. And I was ready to come back and do something more fun. And this was exactly it. You know, as you know, my track record shows, it's always something niche. And cannabis in Houston is definitely niche and new and definitely my style. And that's what I've always done well is, you know, manage uh, something new and and different because that's what I love to do. That's uh, me as a creative and a chef, and I've always been thankful now since you know I met Andrew Nelson to have the opportunity to really do that because it's we are all creatives and it's very nice to be in that same space. Yeah, so I guess talk to me a little bit about the menu because it it is this kind of eclectic, you know, globally inspired, you know, kind of how did you how did you put that together? You know that that concept, you know. Andrew and Addison already had something in mind. You know, they wanted something, you know, culturally, they want something international. Anywhere there's a beach, anything that's, you know, the Asian style uh, or even Mexico was really the main inspirations. And to me, you know, I have done those very well for a while. And it's also my favorite style of cuisine. So it's a natural fit because those cultures just make so much sense together that it's not so much of a fusion, but it's a natural marriage of flavors. Uh, and since we've been giving it, you know, more shape and thought, it's just naturally evolving. And now that we've just launched our summer menu, it's our best, you know, expression of wild uh, thus far, you know, with the food and the offerings and, and the experience. You know, this is an experience when you come to wild. It's a concept. Uh, you know, it's a story. Uh, so that's, you know, where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, Addison, build on that point a little bit. What, what is that story that you want to tell? And, and how does the cannabis kind of play into, play into that story? You know, as far as uh, when we were doing wild, we were really inspired by uh, sort of like you said, a lot of our travels through Mexico, a lot of the jungle beaches, you know, particularly the Tulum region, um, but then also had a lot of inspiration from, you know, Bali and the Maldives uh, traveling over there and seeing that that coastal jungle feel um, is really what we were going for when we were creating the brand. Um, so we sort of tried to combine those two flavors of foods. Um, you know, they're similar looking and and they are both beach jungles, but when you go to each one, they have completely different cuisines. Um, so we really wanted to try a fusion concept with that and, uh, and go with it. And I, I really like what we've done. Um, we've come up with some pretty unique things over there. Yeah, I guess uh, chef, talk to me about the menu. Like, what are some of the what are some of the dishes that have emerged as people's favorites? Currently, you know, what we found out is that they really love our skirt steak. Anything that we do, al carbon, fundido, you know, any preparation that they, you know, we've really mastered that flavor profile. Just 
that are dug fat uh, flour tortillas are echeote marinated, you know, prime skirt steak. That has really stood out over the menu changes. It's continued to stay in the menu and evolve. And right now our newest iteration is the uh, uh, carbon, which is a uh, Japanese iteration of tacos al carbon. You know, so we have some wonderful Japanese elements there from the shisho to the radish uh, to the coconut aminos in the marinating of the skirt steak uh, to the Rohan duck fat tortillas, which are all Asian in nature and origin with the shishitos as well. And then we give it that Mexican flair and finish. Another great dish that's kind of really popped out um, and stood out is our pan de esquite, you know, which is a really cool marriage of a uh, Mexican corn in the cup with a Brazilian cheese bread. And we've got to marry those two flavors and ideas together. And, you know, we just launched a new menu and it's already a start. It's already an instant hit and people are really loving it. So then just sort of step back a little bit and tell me, I mean, did you have a lot of experience cooking with cannabis or, or, or how, you know, what is the integration like? So, you know, my first experience with cannabis was actually with Rebels Green uh, and the aspect that we're using hemp oil, hemp seeds, hemp protein powder, which is completely different than the cannabis infusion now. But it's funny because I look back like, wow, I was actually cooking with weed back in the day. Now it's a whole different deal. You know, uh, now we're using these extractions, you know, and ways to manipulate. And where I really enjoy it, uh, not only being able to use cannabis, but actually use actually my science background. As I mentioned to you, I went to school, you know, for engineering. So this allows me to bring my science lab, you know, history into the use of cannabis. Because it's actually very scientific how, you know, the extraction is, the infusion to the oils, the calculation milligrams of dosing. Uh, it, it's a process which I enjoy very much, and I'm very fortunate to be. Addison, let me bring you back into this. I mean, talk talk a little bit about kind of the difference between, you know, adding CBD or THC to drinks versus adding it to food. I mean, you know, I think you know, you know, we can make all the kind of lazy brownie jokes we want, but but you know, you're you're going for something a little more sophisticated here. Yeah. So. Um... You know, adding it to drinks, it's it's mainly that you're you're adding the THC and the CBD as a um, as an active ingredient to feel the effects of it um, in your in your beverage or your mocktail, whatever it may be you're drinking. Um, versus the food side of it, we're playing a lot more with the terpenes. Um, the terpenes have very specific flavor profiles um, that are helping to create that culinary dish in the kitchen that um, adds something that you wouldn't taste elsewhere. Um, but some of those extractions we're using, um, it has, I think it's like, you know, one or 2% terps, um, terpenes for, uh, for like a dish uh, is the extract we're using to get the right weight measurements. Um, so that changes the, the whole profile and the taste of the dish. Um, so, you know, some people don't, get the infusions on our dishes and, and they are amazing as is, but when you do add in that cannabis, you're, you're, you're adding more than just, you know, THC or CBD into your dish to, to feel the, the, you know, psychoactive effects, if you will. Um, you're actually adding a, a, a new flavor component to it that enhances it all around the board. So I think that's where it differs a little bit. Well, and let me just say, I mean, you know, cause the, you know, CBD kind of promotes a, a general feeling of, of wellness, but you don't get, for lack of a better, you don't, you don't get high, right? Like, but yeah, so um, the CBD doesn't carry really any psychoactive effects. It, it is more of like a, a, a relaxing, you know, calmness that you experience. Um, but the, the THC that we add definitely, definitely does get you there. Right. So, I, I mean, I, I guess would you say I, that's mostly Delta eight, right? Um, no, we're, so we're actually using Delta nine THC in there. Um, okay. as, as long as uh, all of our extractions are right and our weight measurements are correct, it, it, it is legal to do in food. Okay. Explain that to me because this is, this is, I, I come from a place of ignorance. So, so how does this, how does this work? So it, as long as the concentration of Delta nine THC is less than 0.3% on a dry weight basis, it is legal uh, in Texas. So when we add in those oils into the dish, um, as, as long as the original starting oil we were using was legal um, in the state, then it is still legal in the dish. Um, so we we prefer to go with the Delta 9 over Delta 8 just because it is more natural. Um, you, you definitely get better flavor and a better experience out of the Delta 9 versus Delta 8. Um, so that that is what we tend to go with. Um, Delta 8, you know, it's 
it's mainly found in a distillate form, uh, which is going to be, of course, with no terpenes in it whatsoever. Um, it's just going to be a concentrated, you know, go, go get high juice pretty much. Um, and it's, it's not really what we're looking for in that, in that culinary dishes. Like I said, we, we really believe in the entourage effect and how the terpenes interact with the THC to create a better, um, high, if you will, or, or psychoactive effect. Elision. <laughs> Herman, are, are there certain, have you found that certain ingredients, certain proteins that are better suited for, for this kind of cooking? You know, it's, really on the application they're all they all lend themselves very well uh to the infusions which is kind of really nice to see i haven't had any difficulties uh even with desserts actually that seems to be even easier to infuse uh, but as far as proteins they all lend themselves very well even from uh, cured meats lend themselves already to uh, to uh, infusing I think I think for us we've had more difficulty trying to get infusions in the vegetable dishes um, than the protein dishes for the most part. Um, it feels like the the leanness, if you will, of the vegetables uh, makes them a little trickier to uh, get a real proper infusion going on that. Yeah, and I guess tell me a little bit about kind of the drink program because I, I know that's a focus too, and and I don't want to give that short shrift. Oh man, uh, so our our. Beverage director is, uh, is Mo Jalal. Um, he has created the menu there for us. Um, he started with us as a bartender at our Heights location and has really evolved and taken off um, through his, his drink journey. Um, what he has been working on, especially for the summer menu, was combining uh, flavor profiles to chef's dishes um, so we can have some truly unique cocktails that match uh, a dish on our menu for the summer. Um, which is the first time we're really working towards that. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited for these new drinks. Uh, we have, uh, we, we, we did five new, new cocktails for the summer on our menu. So um, I think it's going to be really exciting and it's going to work well with the menu for guests and the experience to pair with that. Yeah. And then I guess just tell me a little bit. I mean, you, you guys have been at this for in monsters, what for close to a year now, I guess. Yeah, we opened up in September, so yeah, get getting there. So how's it how's it going? I mean, are you are you kind of satisfied with where you are, or, or what are your what are your goals as you kind of get to that year mark? You know, um, I I I think that now that we're getting closer to the year mark, uh, we have a a lot better idea of what kind of food we want to serve and uh, the atmosphere we're going towards. Um, you know, coming from a coffee shop cafe when we were building Montrose, you know, and obviously Amaya and not having much restaurant experience, um, we we sort of built the restaurant design more like it was another coffee shop, but we were trying to do really high-end culinary food. So, um, you know, we had our six-month mark, saw a lot of things that we wanted to change and improve. So we got some new bigger tables that can hold all the dishes and cocktails a lot better for a better experience. Um, some better chairs that are uh, comfier for a dining experience, you know, for a good two hours experience, which, you know, before at a coffee shop, not everyone's there as long, you know, grabbing a cup of coffee. So it's never really an issue. Um, and then it just created a better uh, atmosphere and uh, what we're going for on a culinary level over there. So, I guess what what we're happy to see now is is with the changes we've made. Um, guests are a lot more satisfied. They're they're having a better time. They're staying for longer, and uh, they're really enjoying the food and drinks a lot. So we, we've got to be happy with that. Herman, you just rolled out a new menu. What are some of the lessons? How how does it reflect some of the lessons you've learned about what your customers want from Wild? This new iteration of the menu is definitely a reflection of what our clientele. Um, you know, wants, and it's really about, you know, handsy food and really fun iterations that are familiar. And that again has been our success, you know, with the uh, Japanese style uh, taco salt carbon, our new uh, big crispy fish pad thai. Uh, again, we all know and love pad thai up and down Westheimer, but you know, my iteration with this is now offering our popular Thai style big fish with pad thai which since we put on the menu recently has taken off uh and just really now shows that we're now really getting into our groove and understanding what our customers want but also our customers are sending what we want um as as wild you know 
Yeah, I mean, Addison, let me let me just ask you. I mean, you have two locations of Wild. You've still got Grinders. Uh, I mean, what's the what's the future for you? Is it is it more of one or the other? Is it both? I mean, where do you how do you see this concept evolving? Man, you know, uh, I I feel like Grinders is deserving of uh, of some love. Um, I I really don't know exactly yet. It for us, it really comes down to the space. Uh, our Andrew and I's thing has always been, you know, we we if we see a space that we like and we walk it and we're like, we see the vision, then we're going to, we're going to go for it. Um, but I am feeling like there is a grinders, uh, expansion, uh, deserving. Um, we, 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 we love that place. And so do our customers. Um, we think that there's some good markets for us. Um, but wild is always still an open door. Um, you know, we, we really love the restaurant concept that we've added on and, we're looking for some new places that could maybe home, give us a new home um, for another location. Now, if that's going to remain in Houston, we are not exactly sure. Um, but yeah, there's uh, all, all kinds of possibilities, honestly. Um, nothing, nothing set in stone yet. And and then let me just ask you kind of one other thing, because you know we're you know we're in the middle of the legislative session. You know, it seems like maybe there's some movement towards changing the laws around cannabis in Texas. I mean, what happens for you if we get to a point of, of greater legalization or, uh, you know, what, what happens to the business then? You know, a lot of the things in legislation right now are uh, controlling a lot of the synthetic cannabinoids um, that are found, you know, across the state, which are, uh, you know, we of course have some of them due to customer demand, but for the most part, if uh, you know, they put some control on the synthetic stuff uh, that's, you know, we don't have any issue with that. I, I really, I love the plant. That's, that's more of my passion is the cannabis side of the stuff uh, of the business. So them, them regulating the industry a little bit more and creating a better product for consumers. I'm always going to be for um, if, if they're going to make people safer, a healthier product and put on more limits and rules to how the products are made and tested um, that, that that's a benefit for consumers. Um, so you know, we're, we're okay with that. Uh, we'll always be compliant and follow the rules. Um, the other thing that's, you know, up right now is if they're going to ban Delta eight in Texas. Um, I really don't, I really don't know, but, um, that's something that a lot of people are talking about right now. And if that, if that comes, you know, that we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but that is a big reason why, uh, we like to use the Delta nine in our food. It's, uh, it is the natural THC. Um, it's a, it's a natural product. So, um, I feel like it's a lot, a lot safer and going to be a lot more consistent over time for consumers. Well, I have to say that does bring me to the end of my questions. Is there anything you would like to discuss that I haven't asked you about? Not too much. Um, I did want to tease a little bit that we are um, in the works on creating a cannabis dinner uh, for the summertime uh, that we're going to be rolling out here soon, um, where we are going to have a set menu with uh cannabis infused mocktails and dishes um to really highlight our use of the terpenes and the and the and the cannabis in our culinary experience um to really get people to try something and see how terpenes can enhance food across the board is that going to be like a one night only thing or are you going to kind of offer that alongside your regular menu it's going to be a, a special event night, I believe. Um, and then we will, I think, hopefully have one monthly is the plan um, with a new menu every month for that event to, to highlight different uh, profiles. Got it. All right. Well, gentlemen, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Addison, let me start with you. Okay. What is your favorite ingredient? It's got to be shrimp. Herman, what is your favorite ingredient? I'm going to say truffle. Herman, <laughs> uh, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Uh, they're uh, Seether. Addison, how about you? My Chemical Romance. Addison, what is the last TV show you binge watched? Ooh. Um, Righteous Gemstones. Herman, how about you? Was it Peaky Blinders? Or... And then, Herman, do you have a favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? 
useless sports figure, you know, what's his name? No, I can't think of his name. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Addison, to you. Andre Johnson. And then finally, Addison, when you go, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through Ooh. Man, probably probably just a McDouble from McDonald's, honestly. <laughs> Herman, how about you? Oh man, that's a rough one, man. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I don't know. Good enough for me. All right, Addison, give us the, the website and the social media for a while. Uh, we're, we're at wildconcepts.com and our Instagram handle is wild underscore concepts. Awesome. Gentlemen, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, awesome. thank you for thanks, having man. us. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you, brother. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.